everyone, and welcome to episode 212 of the MTG Goldfish Podcast. It's Seth, probably better known as Saffron Olive, and we have the full crew here this week, starting off with the owner of MTG Goldfish, Richard. How's it going this week, Richard? Hey, Seth. Good morning, or good afternoon to you. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's right on the, the borderline, so either way works. <laughs> uh, we also have a uh, content creator for MTGGoldfish.com, Krim. What's going on, Krim? Morning, Seth. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing well. <laughs> I'm I'm getting over a very bad flu. So <laughs> yeah, that is that is no fun. A bunch of people that I'm friends with had the flu, and I just like avoided them for like ten days to a week. I'm like, nope, nope. I'm not even going in the same building that you're in. I do not want any part of that. So uh, I managed to avoid it though. So that was my technique, and it worked. Good, good <laughs> choice. Because I mean, I took I, I ended up babysitting my friend's kids, and that uh. <laughs> I got oh, it from yeah. them, actually. Yeah, kids are always sick, man. You can't babysit. <laughs> you got to be a parent because they have, like, the built-in immunity. But, man, yeah. kids are always <laughs> sick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I definitely know that now. <laughs> well, uh, let's move on from the world of kids being sick and talk about some magic. So our topics today, we only have a couple, but they're pretty big ones. We had our first Mythic Championship slash uh, used to be called Pro Tour in Cleveland. So we're going to talk about Mythic Championship Cleveland. Uh, and then also we had an announcement on Thursday about our next Pro Tour or Mythic Championship, which is uh, Mythic Championship London, the end of April, going to be modern and they're going to be testing out a new mulligan rule. So we want to talk about that as well. And then up of course, answer some fish mail questions. So that's the plan for today. Before we jump into it, a reminder that the show today is brought to you by SpikesAcademy.com, the first Magic the Gathering e-learning academy in the world. They got some sweet online courses by really good players, Polyvita, Damodorosa, Reduke. We saw both of them at the Pro Tour over the weekend. So if you want to learn from uh, some Mythic Championship players, you can check out the academy over at SpikesAcademy.com. Even get 10% off with the code GOLDFISH. And to learn more, check out Spikes underscore Academy on Twitter. So thank you to Spikes Academy for their support. And with that out of the way... Let's talk some Mythic Championship action. So before we get into it, Richard, why don't you let us know, uh, what was the topic? What, what are we talking about today? In case people have not actually seen it, didn't watch it over the weekend, give us uh, that info and then we can discuss what happened. A lot of stuff happened. Um, so we had the first Mythic Championship, which is actually just a pro tour, but now everything is Mythic. You go to Mythic Qualifiers, you get Mythic Points, you fight in the Mythic Championships, there's a Mythic Invitational. And uh, everything is just mythic nowadays, so it's a little confusing, but it was basically a pro tour. So the same thing, right? People who qualified before, we had a field of, I think they said around 500. We battled it through two days of Swiss between standard and draft. We saw basically that every archetype was playable. That seemed to be the consensus. People thought that, okay, maybe mono blue is the strongest, but only like slightly. Everything is playable. And you know, if you're an aggro player, you can play some kind of aggro deck. If you're a control player, you can play control. If you're mid-range, you can play mid-range. And uh, throughout the whole weekend, it kind of ended up like that in the top eight. We had, trying to count, three mono blue tempos, one Simic Nessus, one Gruel aggro, which is actually just mono red splash green for sideboard. One Azorius aggro, which is just mono white splash white for sideboard. And then uh, LSV with Is It Phoenix, which is just literally 
the same list from last pro tour <laughs> that you could have run <laughs> except uh they, they added uh blood crypts right uh, but that was it to to cast the other side of the split cards but no new cards in that list and then esper control i'm sure uh crim crim was fist pumping <laughs> there but at the end of the day it was autumn burchett taking it down with mono blue tempo uh master class showing of how to play that deck and it it just looks bad against esper control they're like here's five mana removal spell pierce <laughs> here's four mana removal dive down it's just like oh boy how do you ever win like this but uh yeah and we had reed duke we had lsv we had marcel cavallo uh all the top eight so it was a pretty stacked top eight yeah it was a a pretty interesting event uh, the pro tours i uh they've changed a lot with them being moved back six weeks after the set release instead of being about like oh what crazy deck is this team going to show up with it's more about seeing a really good and tight play and i feel like the top eight especially man autumn played some really good magic and that doesn't even include like lsv reduke uh, marcio really really good players so even though there wasn't a ton of spice the play was uh especially autumn was just very impressive i was super impressed with how Autumn played the deck. I 100% agree. Autumn played that Esper matchup also absurdly well. <laughs> the patience in that matchup was beautiful. I loved it. Loved every second of it. I also loved all the mismatched islands, mostly. <laughs> I actually do. Because I, I do it myself. So I 100% appreciate the mismatched islands. Yeah, at one point, I think it was like round 15 or 16, there was a mono blue mirror with Autumn versus, I can't remember who the other player was, but they both had the mismatched troll basic islands, which was pretty, pretty funny. I definitely appreciate that little touch. I wonder if in the history of Magic, anyone has like gotten got by having mismatched lands. You know, we always tell new players, play the same lands because if someone thought seizes you or something and you play one of your lands they didn't see, they'll know you still have a land in hand. I wonder like if that's ever been relevant, like ever, <laughs> right? Like maybe we should all be doing mismatched lands instead of going out of our way to to get the uniform 19 islands. I think it does matter. I think the the question is, does whatever slight percentage points you might gain by tilting your opponent off because of your <laughs> horrific looking mana base, does that outweigh the tiny bit of percentage you might lose when someone thought ceases you or thought erasures you? Hey, even Reed Duke was tilting me with his lands. He had uh, Ice Age basics, great choice, but they were like not the same art and some were signed and some were not signed. And I'm like, what yeah, is this? <laughs> I remember Paul Chian borrowed my deck one time and then he immediately just gave it back to me because all my lands are mismatched. <laughs> uh, so as far as the decks at the tournament, I think obviously Mono Blue, it's got to be the biggest winner of the event just because it had three players in the top eight. It won the entire tournament and it was kind of on camera constantly the way they did coverage uh, through the entire weekend. I think the sneaky deck that people might not realize how good it was at Mythic Championship Cleveland was Esper Control, though. I think if you look at the numbers and like the number of uh, good finishes, getting six wins, seven wins, eight wins in Constructed, compared to the number of players that started out playing the deck, the numbers on Esper Control are actually a little bit better than Mono Blue Tempo even. So I think, for me, those two decks were the big winners, and I expect to see them uh, even more moving forward on Magic Arena. If you're playing FNM or at GPs or whatever, I think those are the two decks coming out of the weekend that really you're going to get a bump in popularity people are in for a rude awakening 
they see Autumn with the crazy Mono Blue Temple, and then they will play the same deck, and it will suck because Mono Blue Temple is so difficult to play. It's like playing like a Delver deck or something. Like when you're playing against it, it's like so much pressure. You can't do anything, and then you just crumble and die. You're like, what an unfair deck. And then you play it, and then it's just like garbage, right? <laughs> you're like, my one drop somehow died. I have four dive downs and a curious obsession. I'm like flooding out, and like nothing happens. Like that is my experience with Mono Blue. So uh, it's not a straightforward deck. It's like the hardest deck to play out of any of the decks in top eight, right? So people are going to have a fun try at it. The good news is, is it only costs like 70 bucks in paper. Yep. So it is yeah. like a super cheap deck, barely any rares in it. I remember I, I saw it on coverage during the weekend and I crafted it on Arena and like it took like nothing. <laughs> it was like basically free on Arena for me. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. I just need to make like two Tempest Gins, right? And that's it. So it is a super cheap deck. So expect to see this deck a lot, but I expect to see pretty bad results because it's a really difficult deck to play. Also, yeah, I think. So, well, oh, I mean, go ahead. I was just going to say, side note Jace Cunning Castaway in the top eight of the Mythic Championship. Oh, yeah. That card is so good. Can't wait. I, I've been waiting. No, no, it's not. No, no. He got ripped. <laughs> no, this, no, was, no. this was his chance to shine. He was like, that was a legitimate use of Jace. <laughs> right? <laughs> you're like, you're like I make a bear. Curious obsession. Oh, oops. <laughs> Dive down. Wait a minute. <laughs> how, how does this even work? What is this? Fizzle the life gain uh, of a Vraska's Contempt. <laughs> yeah. Got him. I, I think though, going back to Mono Blue Temple, I think you're right, Richard. It's a, it's a deck where the games where you play a, an evasive one drop, put a curious obsession on it, and just run away with the game. Those games are easy, and they do happen some percentage of the time. But in all the other games, when you don't just get those random free curious obsession wins, the deck is running on really small margins, and you have to play it really well. And we saw really good examples of this, uh, where tiny little decisions in the top eight were determining matches. Like, one that comes to mind was uh, Reed Duke's time of Merfolk Trickster, where he potentially should have cast it on Autumn's uh, upkeep instead of when he cast it, and little decisions like that were the difference between winning and losing games, winning and losing matches. So I think you're definitely right that a lot of people are going to pick up this deck because it's good and it's cheap, but I don't think the average player is going to have the same success as Autumn and Reduke and the other like high-end pro players uh, with the deck. Yeah, fully fully agree with that too. Because I mean, I I like no, knowing also which count like which spells to counter. Like if you watched how Autumn chose to use like disdainful stroke over negate in some spots or essence capture to, uh, in like the Esper finals, like that that was key. That was essential. And like knowing what to counter will be a huge part of this deck. Yeah, they did it really like Ishikawa or Yo no wait, Yoshi Yoshihiko Ikawa kept baiting autumn with like random spells right and autumn always had this choice of like many different spells do you use a dive down do you use an essence capture do you use a disdainful stroke uh and then the esper control player kept baiting to try to get them to use the wrong one so that they can resolve the game ending threat and it was as if autumn was working with perfect information the right card was always chosen like all the time Right. So it was actually amazing to see, you know, we're sitting here at home breaking it down, watching it, but Autumn was making the same choices without perfect information and making them perfectly correct. And, uh, hence Pro Tour or I guess Mythic Championship. 
champion. Yeah, I mean, and very deserving of it. Like the the patience Autumn had when using, because uh, some people will just think immediately jam the curious obsession, but you would watch Autumn hold and wait, and then d- like you know apply like use the curious obsession wait way, way later in the matchup. And I thought that was a very, very, very wonderful demonstration of patience. So, you know what card stood out to me that we didn't really talk about much? Uh, Kaya, the three-man of Planeswalker. Oh, yeah. That card was a beating. Like, every ability was relevant, especially in the Mono Blue match. But even outside the Mono Blue match, it was getting, like, jumpstart cards. It was just removing random things. Like, Kaya looked pretty legit. And it... Seems like an actual win con instead of like, you know, I'm just going to put this in my deck because for the lulls, like it actually played a role and it was pretty good. It was not Jace cutting Castaway. (laughs) (laughs) I think, I think that's true that Kaya, it actually can be pretty effective in some matchups. Although I also think uh, the top eight metagame kind of shook out in a way that was pretty good for Kaya, uh, where you had graveyard decks, you had a lot of one-drop decks where her abilities are relevant. If it had been a bunch of, like, Simic Nexus and Saltai Midrange, then I think we'd probably have a pretty different perspective on the power level of Kaya. So I think it is probably better than people give uh, credit for, but I think it was kind of partly a product of the metagame being in a spot where Kaya could really shine. I, I think Kaya would even help with the Saltai Midrange matchup, right? When you're on Esper, like, the the, the most brutal thing they can do is they find, bring back their crisis, all this other stuff, Memorial to Folly, and Kaya's just eating away at those. It, it, it's what kind of keeps them in the game, right? That's how Saltai grinds out the control matchups. So, I don't know, like, Kaya, Kaya looked amazing. I, I, I mean, obviously, it's even better against Mono Blue when you can exile their Curious Obsessions and all this other stuff, but I think there's only, like, a maybe a few matches where I don't want a singleton copy of it, and yeah, the next matchup, it's not the greatest thing, but at least I can for sure kill my opponent. That's cool. Yeah, killing your opponent's overrated. Dude, right. <laughs> yeah, it's actually the most important <laughs> card of that match because you can't win Tucking the Fairy. Like, that Kai is actually needed. Yeah. <laughs> So, uh, beyond kind of the big decks, Mono Blue Esper performed well. Uh, we saw a couple of various colors of aggro in the top eight with basically Mono White. Uh, Mono White and Mono White Splash Blue, pretty much the same deck. The Gruel Aggro deck, it's basically Mono Red with Cinder Vines in the sideboard. Uh, what did you guys think of those other non-blue aggro options? Like, what are, you, what are we expecting for those decks moving forward based on this weekend? <laughs> They'll stick around. <laughs> They all have their advantages, right? Like the the whole point of mono white is you have no reach, but uh, you just apply a ton of pressure. And then when Esper tries to sweep the board, you negate and call it a day. Uh, and then red is just red, right? We've seen, we saw so many games with aggro decks where the control player or the Nexus player stabilizes at like one or two life. And if that was red, that wouldn't be happening and what was actually funny is we saw like the red decks out card the control decks in certain games with the light up the stages and the experimental <laughs> frenzies and you're like oh yeah i want to be drawing free spells like that so i think they're all pretty decent choices and i mean just looking at this field of aggro decks like kaya just looks insane right <laughs> like to killing a one cmc card uh, is basically any of these cards, right? It like snipes tokens, history banalia tokens. It snipes 
one drops. Um, Gains you life. So, yeah, you gain <laughs> life after you stabilize. So yeah, I kind of eat these aggro decks up. But I mean, they're still aggro decks and uh, they'll still do pretty well. The one thing I saw, uh, which we didn't see much of, was the Tithe Takers from uh, Azorius Aggro. Uh, that's a new addition that really changes that deck up. And it just lets you not play instant speed removal. So uh, that's pretty interesting. And then the the one one token that it leaves behind is actually pretty decent when you can pump it with uh, your venerated loxodons and things like that. And Ajani's, as we saw, Ajani had a lot of camera time in that top eight as well. Yeah, like a tie taker. A lot of it really, it really is like like the fact that it's not legendary and the the ability stacking has actually been insane. And on top of that, you a lot of people are forgetting. How, like, they think, yeah, okay, well, you know, it costs one more to cast spells, but there's the activated abilities part, too. So that, that, that can catch people off guard at times. It's pretty sweet. Yeah, it definitely is a, a big upgrade for that deck, I think. Even just making people play their removal off curve is a, a pretty helpful effect and a pretty big deal. What about the other side of the scale? So we've talked about decks that did well. Uh, what did we see that kind of flopped or that we were thinking would show up and didn't really show up? Is there anything that underperformed uh, in your guys' perspective this weekend? Sultai. I, I think with how many people that were on it, like, there was a ridiculous number, I think, right? Like, there were a lot of people playing Sultai mid-range, but I don't think anyone uh, top-aided with it. Kind of thought with the yeah. numbers of how many people were playing it, like, at least one would make it. Yeah, I think, for me, if you dig into the numbers on Sultai, I think it performed... It wasn't horrible, but it did perform below average for the field, and, like you said, it missed out on the top eight, which... That's a whole day of, like, camera time and hype that you miss out on. So that does kind of determine, uh, in a lot of ways, the winners and losers, because not everyone is digging through all the six wins list and, like, analyzing it statistically. If you're more, like, a casual Magic Arena-type player, you probably see the top eight list posted somewhere, and that's mostly your entire perception of the Mythic Championship is, like, that little glimpse. So I think that missing on the top eight is a big check mark against Saltai, although... I think it's still a fine deck, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere. It's it's a 50-50 style deck, and nothing about the meta changed in a way that makes me think, oh, it's just completely unplayable or anything. Oh, yeah. It's not unplayable. It's just, like, it's crazy how many people were on it and, and whatnot, and just, like, none of them topped, uh, unfortunately. But, yeah. but there was the super cool vampire deck, the Mardu Vampires deck. That, that, <laughs> I wanted that to top eight really bad, by the way. <laughs> Oh, that deck. I, that, I'm glad it did well and I'm glad we saw some spice, but when I look at that deck list, it reads like an example of how I would tell someone not to build a deck. Like, just, <laughs> just like, put some vampire lords in, put some non-vampires in there, throw it, it looks like someone built their first deck and they don't know that you shouldn't play non-tribal cards with your tribal cards, but it worked and it went seven and three, so I mean... Yeah, one person uh, finished like ninth up. place at the Mythic Championship, another person is just podcasting. Um... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I completely admit that I'm probably, that I'm probably wrong. But when I read the deck list, I was like, oh man, that is, that is awkward to have like vampire lords and some vampires, but then also non-vampires. But apparently it worked. Yeah. I mean, like I, 
<laughs> I can't help but think that unclaimed territory was just like the MVP. That land probably allowed them to cast whatever they needed. That that's the only thing. It it's, it just makes sense. But the the deck seems perfect. I mean, like perfectly hilarious and fun to play. It, it looks like something I I would just like you know like ah well you know I'm on the stream right now. I'm just gonna throw some cards together and let, let's just see what happens right let's just, and they're like you know what it's like i like that i like that watch crim series about updating the vampire deck uh Raphael levy coming in with merfolk of all things and they're like yep like saw this deck on arena looked pretty good so i just upgraded a bit and here we are uh, but that that I mean, vampires list went seven and three in standard so it was not like it was totally bolstered by a limited record it was yeah. like actually yeah. it was actually crushing people <laughs> and merfolk uh merfolk went eaten too as well that was another like sort of surprise i think uh was seeing merfolk actually do so well the uh, on the other hand as far as losers i think you gotta put gates in there gates is a deck that has been really popular on arena fairly popular in paper events as well and the gate deck just kind of absolutely flopped uh it put a couple of players at like six wins maybe like one at seven wins uh and that was mostly the nexus of gates deck i don't think anyone put up a winning record with just straightforward like gate mid-range where you're playing your arc light angels and you're playing your whatever random gate payoff so that was a little bit disappointing also like by the numbers is it drakes was really bad uh mono red was actually really bad as well if you just look at the number of players that started day one and how many finished with a winning record both of those decks really underperformed although uh, a weird quirk is is it phoenix didn't have that many players uh, and it actually performed really well so it seems like if you want to play the is it deck you should probably be playing the phoenix build based on mythic championship cleveland compared to the full-on drake build i i think that right now like what to touch upon what you were talking about seth like the the amount of mono blue decks that were running around though <laughs> probably had plays a part in how many gates decks like how many gate decks could actually succeed <laughs> right i mean that mono blue matchup is kind of miserable <laughs> Yeah, they can counter all your payoffs, and you're playing their tap lands, and they're drawing cards with Curious Obsession. Yeah. It is not a fun matchup from the gate side. It's definitely not, what you, <laughs> not where you want to be. So, shifting gears a little bit, what did y'all think of coverage of our first Mythic Championship? So, uh, where I'm coming from here is Wizards, actually, another thing that happened this past week is they finally talked about what's going on with GP coverage. And they pretty much said, there's a lot of magic now. We got Mythic stuff. We got Magic Pro League. Uh, we're not covering Grand Prix anymore. Channel Fireball is picking up five, I think, with some support of Wizards. So there will be a little bit of GP coverage thanks to Channel Fireball. Uh, what do you think of the Mythic Championship Cleveland coverage? Because I was kind of expecting... A big step forward, I guess, uh, based on GPs going away. I thought, well, maybe they're just like pouring all the resources into making this Mythic Championship tournaments really amazing. Uh, but what did you think of it? What was your impression of coverage? So in terms of pro tours, it was like pretty good. It was like I say about average or slightly better than what we saw for existing pro tours. I think a lot of the segments were pretty good, but we still had like awkward production issues like showing the wrong thing on camera hearing people after they already cut away and so you know it was like okay for a pro tour right so if if we didn't have 
this idea that magic is now an esport and we had 10 million dollars this would have been perfectly acceptable it was a kind of like status quo however like Seth said you know given the 10 million dollar investment and we're in esports now and blah 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 this kind of sucked right like nothing happened it was like exactly the same <laughs> which leads me to believe everything is going into the arena mythic championship Right. So if that thing looks like this, then okay, we're in trouble. But my guess is that thing is the thing that all the money is being poured into. And that's where the spectacle will happen. And that's, you know, the thing that they're going to push really, really hard uh, on Twitch and on all the platforms to be like, look, magic is in esports now. So I don't know. That's my guess. My guess is paper magic is like, I want to say it's almost getting the moto treatment, right? It's just like, okay, you just keep doing what you do and we're not killing you or anything, right? But, you know, over here we have the shiny new toy and that's getting all the money and something great is going to happen over here. That's what it's starting to feel like. I'm, I'm going to say yeah. that. Uh, that, was, that was pretty much my take as well. I thought the coverage was fine. I thought it was good even, but it wasn't a, as far as I could tell, any like massive step forward. It looked pretty much like Pro Tour coverage always looked. I think they did do a good job with some of the MPL segments and like focusing on MPL players. I thought that was cool. But as far as the actual coverage, it looked like every other Pro Tour I've watched. What did, uh, what did you think, Grim? Yeah, that's pretty much my, my take on it too. It, like, I like the MPL, uh, part of it because that kind of gives you, like, players to follow, all this other stuff. Um, but it didn't feel like anything was a crazy spectacle, but, uh, I, I thought it was, it was fine. It was, it was good to have coverage. It was nice to see. It was, yeah, it was good to have coverage. <laughs> It was also a little funny that uh, they focus so heavily on MPL stuff, but no one really knows. Like they had a segment with uh with Corey, uh, and he talked about like, oh, I'm gonna stick with Magic and I'm gonna make it to the MPL. And I was watching, I was like, well, I'm glad you feel that way, but you don't even know how to make it to the MPL. None of us know how. So there was a little bit of it felt a little bit premature in some ways because there was all this MPL hype. But we don't know how you qualify for it next year. We don't know how, like, that whole system works. So I really like the segments showing off the players, but I felt a little bit like this is a lot of MPL hype for us still not having that many answers about how this really works beyond, like, the next few months. Yeah. Well, Corey had the right idea. His, his thought was if you win the Mythic Championship, there's no way they're not going to invite you to the MPL. So all you got to do is win the Mythic <laughs> Championship, right? Like, you got to do well at these events. And that is probably somewhere in the criteria for, for entering. So I, I think that was fine. Uh, what, what I didn't like was the angle at which they covered the MPL players. It, all of them were just like, I am super grateful that I can play magic and it be my job, right? Like, you know, kind of selling the dream that you can now be a pro magic player, which like, I don't know if you think in the grand esports, like scheme that that was something that happened like five years ago or 10 years ago i'd rather them talk about like you know actual magic and the competition and stuff like that rather than just like oh now we can afford to play magic because previously we could not and you're like i mean i guess but like i don't know right it's like that's not the cool part of this right the cool part of this is we get like high production shows and we get to follow our favorite players and things not that you can feed yourself i mean i understand that's important but <laughs> Like, I don't know, right? It's just like, 
I don't know. That's just like behind the scenes details, which as a spectator, I don't care about. And it seems like Wizards just patting themselves on the back saying, yeah, right? But it's like, eh, it's like, no, right? Like, I don't know. It was weird. You don't see that in League of Legends interviews. I'll tell you that. They're not like, yeah, well, I went home today and uh, we didn't win. But since I'm salaried, you know, I can feed myself. Like we know we don't see that in any other esports, right? Like why? Why in Magic, right? Well, that was oh, go ahead. Well, I was gonna, it, it it does feel nice though because I guess just because like we've all been following Magic for a while, the pro scene and all that. So like you know you know about the whole pay the pros thing and like this this is cool. Like I mean it's cool, but I guess to somebody that's just getting into Magic now, like has like comes from like I don't know Overwatch League, like like Dota, like League of Legends stuff. They're like. Is is this like a troll or are they you know like I can I can see I can see what you know Richard's getting at but I, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, I, I did notice that like a couple of players had to like qualify that they actually did still care about winning games of Magic because they went on so long about like their salary and stuff and then they had to be like well I mean I'm not saying that I don't still want to win like of course I still want to win but <laughs> I have a lot of money now so uh, our text our te- uh testing a little more relaxed we don't have that pressure anymore of like you gotta win so it's kind of fun now i was like okay i'm glad you're enjoying this salary it's like before magic was a grind you know it was like it was a grind but now it's good it's just like wow i mean i guess but like come on guys find a better (laughs) storyline Uh, also, as far as coverage, shout out to Brian David Marshall, uh, retiring after this event, going to, uh, be a creative director for a company. I don't think they announced what company it is, but, uh, BDM, I think is, is a treasure to the magic community. And I hope that he's still involved in some ways. He's just, he's done so much for the game and he knows so much of the history of the game. Um, so I hope. I hope that he's still involved with the community and around in some way because I feel like the the old guard that knows the history is slowly dying out as far as the coverage scene. Like uh, Randy Bueller a couple years ago uh, left coverage. Now BDM lost uh, is off of coverage. So I hope that those people still stay around because I really feel like the history of Magic is such a big part of what sets it apart from a lot of other games. And it would be sad if we lose that perspective. Not that all these people have to do coverage every tournament to still be involved, but I hope they're still involved with the community. And I'm definitely going to miss uh, BDM's knowledge uh, doing Pro Tour coverage and Pro Tour historian stuff. Yeah, I think... What what is your most memorable BDM moment from all the years of coverage we've seen? Oh, it is one hundred percent the Martin Mueller interview. That is my one of my all time favorite coverage moments. Uh, where I, I can't say it on our family friendly podcast, but he's interviewing <laughs> Martin Mueller and and Martin Mueller keeps uh, dropping f bobs, which to Martin uh, aren't really anything. And the <laughs> face that BDM makes is just the funniest thing that you've ever seen it's like this look of shock and horror that he's in front of like forty thousand people and someone saying the f word and <laughs> it became a meme for a while and that i think that's my favorite uh bdm moment i remember the whisper coverage where uh it was like in between rounds and they would send bdm onto the floor <laughs> to scout out what's going on so he would literally show up to some it's not like the feature match tables like literally like the tables that players play at and then he like takes a look and then he walks like one foot back and then he starts whispering 
and he starts trying to tell us what's going on without the players hearing. <laughs> and it was like so ridiculous. And it was like hilarious because he would like then try to pop back in and figure out like who's winning and then come back out and give us an update. And that, that was such like, you know, it, it was like a nice touch. It was like hilarious that, uh, you know, that's how they bring us like matches that aren't in the feature match area. Now they, they somehow actually managed to move people into the feature match area. But that that was pretty cool. And that was a... That was pretty funny how BDM handled that. Um, so any other pro tour or mythic championship? I'm probably going to do that for like the next two years before I say mythic championship every time. Any <laughs> other start uh, mythic championship thoughts? <laughs> yeah, we, where, where's the Watsi <laughs> pro tour jar? jar? Yeah, Where, yeah. Where's the jar? <laughs> uh, the last thing I want to mention was uh, as far as coverage, actually, we broke 50k viewers, which. Uh, yes, I know it's not League of Legends or whatever, but I believe that Mythic Championship Cleveland was the highest viewed Magic tournament uh, of all time at this point, uh, at least as far as what I could find records of. So uh, he- trending in the right direction, let's say. Yes, it's not a 100,000 or a million, but heading the right direction. Yeah, it, it almost worked. They added it to the arena client, but it was just like a static image which looked like every other ad they put there. But all they had to do was show like the actual Twitch footage streaming. And I think they could have got the numbers much higher, right? Or, uh, you know, Mono Blue is in the finals. Everyone gets access to Mono Blue for the next hour or something, right? Like they, I, I think th- this number can go like big if they just oh, leverage their please. arena. That was- that would be the most miserable hour in the history Wait. of Arena if everyone just had Mono Blue. All right, okay, Mono you, Blue's you, you in the, the finals. <laughs> everyone gets access to Kaya now, okay. <laughs> the entire yeah, ladder what? has just been Mono Blue. All, all of last night has just, like, been Mono Blue. But, yep. Yep, that, yep, that's yep, the Mythic man. Championship for you. <laughs> uh, anyway, let's move on from this Mythic Championship. And before we get into Fish Meal, uh, Mail, talk about our next mythic championship which is london it's the last weekend in april it's going to be modern they announced on thursday but they announced something bigger than that uh it's actually a very interesting pro tour it is on set release weekend so limited is going to be literally the first play of war the spark is going to be the limited portion of the tournament and then modern for constructed so it's interesting in a lot of ways the big news is they're testing out a new mulligan rule at this tournament. And uh, if you haven't seen this, the mulligan rule is basically uh, every time you mulligan, you mulligan to seven cards. And then once you finish mulliganing, you have to choose a number of cards from your hand equal to the number of times you mulligan. So if you mulligan twice, you choose two, for example, and you put those cards on the bottom of your deck. So if you multiply, you'll have a seven card hand and then choose two cards that you want the least to put on the bottom of your deck. So uh, what are your thoughts on this proposed mulligan rule that we're going to be testing out in a couple months, uh, Richard and Krim? Well, I mean, there's going to be no scrying either, so you don't do that and then scry either. It's just the scry is Yes, no, no scries. That is, yeah, that is the entirety of the mulligan rule. Yeah, no scrying or anything else. I, I, I feel like this, this is like a hot take, uh, for some modern, but I, I love it. <laughs> I am so excited to, like, people are like, yeah, you know, sure, combo decks can get their stuff, right? But I can also now dig for my hate. So, I can now, like, I, I'm pretty sure everyone and their their pet snail or whatever has already gone out and gotten a ton of ley lines because ley lines seem to be a, a great thing for this. And I mean, I've, I'm happy that I've been playing a bunch of ley line of the voids and now I'm going to be even more happy because I can actually look for them. 
I see seven cards. I'm excited. Yeah, I think this is actually really sweet for Standard and Limited. Uh, I think this will remove a lot of the non-games. Uh, I don't know what it does to Modern, right? Like Krim said, your combos get assembled much easier, but then your hate also gets assembled much easier. <laughs> so, yeah, you can dig into whatever you want, and I'll just dig into my Stony Silence Rest in Peace. And then it's that cat and mouse game now where... You're like, well, do I need to dig for my my hate for the other hate? And like, I don't know. I don't know what that devolves into, right? But uh, I don't know, like legacy vintage, like they probably get really weird. Like they probably get affected the most uh, with these. And I think decks that have dead cards go up tremendously in value. Like a lot of the a lot of the older decks, you only need like two or three cards to win. And all the other cards are usually not need. Like games will end with you with a fistful of cards. So with those kind of hands, they get much stronger because you can just kind of sculpt the seven, the perfect seven, and then put the rest on the bottom. So, so I don't know. I don't know how it goes. Or I guess we're gonna find out. But I, I don't know that it's obvious that it's super good or super bad because uh, you can assemble your combo, but I can assemble my hate, and we'll see who wins, <laughs> right? So, <laughs> so I don't know. But for for normal, for like I don't know what the rest of Magic is like, all the standard and limited, it's great. For Arena best of threes, it's gonna be so good. No more chromiums in my opening hand. Ah! Yeah, but here's the problem: it shuffle, it goes to the bottom, Krim. How are you ever gonna get it back? <laughs> don't worry about that later. Right? What, what did Seth say earlier? Don't worry about it. We don't need to worry about killing our opponent. <laughs> I'm I'm pretty skeptical of this rule being good in older formats. Uh I think it will be pretty awesome for limited and probably probably pretty good for a standard as well, but I'm more in the camp where I ex- I think it's going to really mess uh with older formats to the point where I I'm not confident this rule will actually be implemented, which is kind of a shame because if you watch the live stream, one thing they insisted on is they weren't interested in having different rules for different formats. So it sounds like if they do this test at uh, Mythic Championship London and find out that it actually does have a huge adverse effect on modern, and if it does on modern, it'll be doubly so in vintage and legacy, um, then they apparently can't or won't just be like, all right, we'll do this for standard and limited because it'll be awesome, and we'll leave older formats in the way they are now because it would probably be bad for it. The other reason I'm a little skeptical is... Uh, Wizards, a few years ago, when they changed mulligan rules, actually wrote an article about all the different mulligan rules that they tested, and uh, this was one of the ones they wrote about, and they said, it's way too strong for constructed, especially in modern, and uh, a turtle really changes the formats, and uh, it's changes how you build decks, and that was one of our rules for making the new mulligan rules. We didn't want to change how decks are built, so we couldn't do it. So I feel... It feels strange to me that they're going to try this for older formats after uh, back in 2015 when they apparently tried this or tested it. They came away with the impression that it would probably destroy modern and other eternal formats. Does it matter, though, Seth? That is my question to you. Like when they printed Delve cards, when they printed Delver of Secrets, uh, you know, they they basically changed these older formats entirely. Right. So let's say they do this and then, you know, uh, legacy is now combo, combo city. Uh, they could just print cards to stop that, right? They could just start printing more 
combo hate cards or whatever to try to balance that format out, right? Make another Death Shadow or something. I don't know, right? But they could do that to fix those older formats, right? Like maybe it's good that they shake it up and they don't have to do a B and R thing to to change modern that this rule alone is good enough to shake up the format i'm excited to see the tournament i'm not i'm not against testing this rule by any stretch and i'm actually uh, we've had a lot of like somewhat boring pro tours in the sense that we essentially know what decks are going to be there going into it even though it's it's great play and it's still really fun to watch but pro tour london or mythic championship london it is going to be the Wild West, and I have no <laughs> idea what to expect. So as a viewer, I'm really excited for the test. As a modern player and someone who's recently been getting more into Legacy and Vintage, uh, it really it scares me as far as gameplay. And it, the, the reason it scares me is I feel like we're in a place where... If Wizards feels like this is best for Standard, and I guess more specifically Arena, I feel like they would do it, even if they knew it would be really detrimental for modern legacy vintage, etc. I feel like that's what takes precedent. I just, I wish they were open to the idea of splitting it off and being like, okay, this is what's best for Arena. This is what's best for Standard. We're going to change the rule there, but do what's best for modern legacy and vintage, uh, whether that means changing the rule or keeping the rule the same, even if you end up with two different mulligan rules based on formats. Anyway, any other, uh, before we, before we do fish mail, uh, with this mulligan rule, do you have any idea what you would expect to do really well uh, at Mythic Championship London? Are there any decks that stick out to you like, okay, with this style of mulligan, this deck gets way better. Or this style of deck gets way better. I don't think it matters. It's modern. <laughs> right? Like someone, it, 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 it's it's like the finals of Mythic Championship again, right? It's like some specialist will come in and like wreck your face, right? So no matter how good your matchup is, there's this person that's been playing Affinity for like 18 years and they're going to come in and destroy you. So I think it's kind of a coin toss. I think it'll be super diverse. I don't think we're going to see you know, Eldrazi or something like just dominate uh, like that one of those last pro tours that it'll just be a modern event where you'll probably see an overrepresentation of combo decks and then some combo deck will win and then, you know, that'll be that because, I don't know, it's modern, right? It's like you, you just can't have a silver bullet for everyone or maybe, I don't know, maybe... Maybe Jund or Control wins, right? Now that they have this weird <laughs> mulliganing thing, uh, you can get your silver bullets and somehow stave off the diverse fields. But uh, but, but Richard, natural yeah. Tron on three now. <laughs> it doesn't matter. I'll, I'll have my Assassin's <laughs> Trophy or Blood Moon or something that I mulliganed into. It'll be fine. <laughs> like, I, 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 I do... Maybe because, you know, I, I have an irrational fear of Tron, but um, <laughs> I am concerned about that. But uh, that like, You'll be able to mulligan into Ghost Court or Surgical like so oh, easily. Oh, <laughs> I should have just known that. And then, and that then Tron will be like, wow, guys, like, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> like, come but on. Like, like, what about what about decks that are like, uh, like Mono Red Phoenix, right? Normally you play the Blue Red version of Phoenix for the consistency of it, right? But Mono Red has those insanely explosive draws but super inconsistent and now you may get to kind of fix that and like what else would there be like i don't i don't know gorio's vengeance maybe yeah, yeah i think i think that style of deck is the one i'm most scared of is the the combo decks that don't care about how many cards they have in hand uh it, you see many more of those in legacy and vintage where a deck like 
like a vintage dredge literally only cares about having bizarre Baghdad. It, a one card hand with bizarre Baghdad and a vintage dredge is heavily favored to be any deck in the format uh, in game one. So it doesn't have been as much in modern, but a deck like Gorio's Vengeance is a good example. If you can mulligan into um, Gorio's Vengeance, Emrakul or Grizzlebrand, uh, a way to discard it and mana source, you can win the game really easily uh, and really quickly. So I think decks like that are a good example. A hilarious example, uh, which will not show up at the pro tour but is something like uh like zombie hunt where you literally just mulligan until you have treasure map and then you win the game on turn three or treasure hunt rather uh so so i think those style of decks where you need like two or three specific cards uh to just win the game are the ones that get the biggest boost in power it'll be interesting to see how it plays out with the sideboard hate cards i think my biggest fear while it is true that you get to mulligan for your combo your opponent gets to mulligan for a way to stop your combo I'm afraid that if that is how it works, then you're just kind of creating another form of non-game. Like, both players mulligan to five to find their combo versus anti-combo card. No one does anything. Like, that doesn't sound like a particularly appealing play pattern to me, if that is how it works out, but... It's like a game of chicken. You have to watch your opponent, see if they're trying to mulligan into a greedier hand, and then you're like, hmm, (laughs) then I gotta do it too. (laughs) Now, now it actually matters, right? Oh, so do you keep yeah. or not? <laughs> yeah, like, you know, oh, what, you're keeping? Oh boy, this hand is like trash. Like, throw it back, better find that rest in peace. <laughs> well, regardless, it'll be an exciting pro tour, so I'm already getting hyped for that, even though it's a, a couple of months away, so. Ooh, oh, anyway. Oh, there, uh, one powder. last thing, Seth. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, serum powder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Sphinx of Foresight will be standard playable now, right, you guys? Oh. Uh, <laughs> in, in a stunning turn of events, in a stunning turn of events, Hearthstone has decided that sideboards is a thing, <laughs> and best of three <laughs> is a thing, and they're like, for competitive play, best of one is not good enough now, and they've come up with this really, like I, I say, really janky implementation of a sideboard cards, where though. you get. You get like three decks and your you have a primary deck and then your secondary decks have to be within five cards of your main deck. <laughs> so uh, I don't know why it's like set up like this, but basically sideboards are coming to Hearthstone. What's your what's your take on it, guys? <laughs> I just think it's hilarious that that we joke so much about wizards trying to make <laughs> arena like hearthstone and as soon as they implement best in one uh hearthstone does a little uh shuck and jive and, and change, <laughs> like, to best like, of three. gotcha <laughs> yeah that's that's the best part of it it just oh it cracks me up um i haven't played hearthstone at all since arena came out so i don't really have much of an opinion as far as what it does to hearthstone itself but i do find it funny <laughs> i mean i i don't understand why you're like kind of like locked into a class now they don't want you to transformational sideboard into another class. Yeah, but like, it's like, <laughs> I don't know, I liked Conquest, right? Like, I like the idea that I get to like ban one class and then play against three others. They're, that was pretty cool. Well, Watsy will do that soon. So <laughs> soon enough, you will choose a color because people are like, I don't want to play against Model Blue Tempo anymore. So we'll, we'll have the ability to just ban blue. And then we can slam our creatures. I would just never, I could never play magic again if they just ban blue all the time. (laughs) Oh, you can ban green so you don't play Carnage Tyrants. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Okay, okay, okay. This is true. (laughs) 
All right, let's move on to fish mail. But that 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 was just funny. I don't know. Seth and I were talking about it, and it was just like, what? Okay, so <laughs> so Hearthstone has decided magic is correct, and then magic is going to turn around and said, never, <laughs> never didn't have it, guys. We knew all along that best of three was the best competitive format. Uh, but yeah, so let's move on to fish mail. If you have your questions, send them to at MDG Goldfish with the hashtag MDG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. Urza's Takeria, we know Seth loves drawing cards. Have you ever been notion thieves and how did you take it? Love the content resources and new lineup with Krim on Commander Clash. So funny. I'm pretty sure that that we've been notion thieved on Commander Clash. I don't think I have been in Constructed. I don't know. There might be a legacy uh, a legacy video where that happened. So I think Commander Clash is the main time, and uh, it's brutal. It is It is the worst. Not only do you not get to draw your cards, <laughs> but watching your opponent get to draw them for you, it uh, it hurts that me. That smug uh, it smile. Hurts my heart deep inside. <laughs> <laughs> I say that because I have that smug smile when I, when I notion thief somebody. <laughs> I'm like, oh, uh, any, any effects? No? Oh, okay. I'm gonna... <laughs> I'm gonna draw. I, I've never, I've never been notion. I, I have like this fear of brainstorming and getting notion thieved or doing a blue sun zenith and getting notion thief, and it has never happened to me. <laughs> Not that I play around it, right? I just like, you got it. <laughs> like, no, okay, cool, right? Like, wipe the sweat. But uh, it's something that I live in constant fear of, and one when, day it will happen. <laughs> when notion thief was in standard, I played. Because, like, back then you would play one Cavern of Souls to name Shapeshifter or whatever for Etherling, but I would actually have a second Cavern of Souls so I could name whatever type notion theme was. Like, I, feel like, I think it's, like, Rogue or, or Human or something like that. No, Human, because then my Snapcasters could also resolve. <laughs> <laughs> and I would just try to, like, steal people's revs. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, next question. Golden Guy 27. I recently played a very boring game of Commander that ended up solitaire for two players, Tatyova and Narset. I decided to build Queen Marchesa politics for more interactive gameplay. How do you feel about politics in Commander? Uh, I think that that's one of the most fun aspects. I think like the interaction in politics is is a big part of what makes Commander unique and fun, at least for me. I've, I've never actually... I, the only time I've ever seen politics come into play is with, uh, with, you know, the Goldfish crew. In, in my own group, there, there is no politicking because it's always just whatever Krim says, just kill him. <laughs> That's politics. So, I, oh, yeah, That's I guess, just not the politics you want. I, I guess I've never gotten to benefit from politics in my group. I've always just died immediately. Oh, well, cool, all right. Like, I actually don't have anything. I'm mana scoot, kill him anyways. Like, that situation. That's, like, <laughs> that's how you not politic, Krim. You're not doing it right. <laughs> Yeah, I think politics is the politics are the whole point of Commander. Like, why play cards? Cards are great, but you can play other people's cards with their mana, right? <laughs> By <laughs> politics, right? Convince people to help you, band up to kill someone, convince people not to kill you. Like, if you think about it, like from a spike perspective, like you're just actually using free resources from other people, their mana, their spells, their turn, right? So it's actually really good. It's really cool. Right. And, you know, it's not like you can control everyone. Like you got to bargain. You got to build favor. You got to not look threatening when you are threatening. So it's actually pretty fun. And I think it makes it very different. (laughs) Yeah. It's very different from 1v1 uh, magic where real politics don't work. Hey, would you like to scoop? 
no okay <laughs> we're done <laughs> right like that like the only politics is trying to get some kind of draw right but like there is no politics right you're both playing to win and like there's no way they would do you a favor uh but in commander you know there, there's only one winner out of four so there's a lot of favor giving and stuff like that once again win uh, no, so <laughs> just always die so <laughs> Green Yeti 33, bold prediction. Rare lands for Vore of the Spark will have comes into play tapped unless you control a Planeswalker. Ooh, Tybalt reprint. <laughs> Tybalt reprint, it's coming. <laughs> it's a two, the first time a two-mana Planeswalker would have something good to come out of it, right? Like, <laughs> so, so what you're going to do is you're going to play Tybalt, and then with the plan of on turn three, playing your land, but when you loot, you're going to like discard your land, and then you're going to draw a Guildgate. <laughs> like, that's what's going to happen. Well, I mean, it has to be within our like the dice or whatever you're you're doing to determine your random discarding. But yeah, maybe it could happen. I don't know if we're gonna get rare. Well, I think we'll get rare lands, but I don't think we're going to get a uh, a cycle of dual lands in war. That's my guess. All right, lava spike three of the goldfish crew. Have you played against each other? And who's the strongest player between you all? Well, I have good news. It's not me. <laughs> I regularly get smashed by Seth. No matter how bad our decks are, he always crushes me. Uh, Krim just always plays me like a fiddle as well. <laughs> so, so that's easy. <laughs> I don't know how many games have you guys played against each other. <laughs> not many. We've we've done a couple of time stream magics, yeah. uh, but I think that's pretty much it. So. Not enough to even really have a trend or to know, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, and I've never gotten the privilege to play Seth in a modern event in any way, shape, or form, so <laughs> I wouldn't know. We'll, we'll have to uh, battle it out at some point and figure it out. <laughs> yeah. Next question. Toki B. Every time I listen to the podcast, Richard says he has no time to play games. What do you be doing, man? <laughs> well... <laughs> I don't have time to play like 30 hour Grand Prix events, right? But uh, I play Arena. I play Commander. Uh, what am I up to recently? Um, my crawl space is flooded. So if you haven't <laughs> experienced that, that's a fun thing to experience where you, you get to crawl on your hands and knees and then discover a giant pool of water under your house. So uh, that's great. But, but yeah, I, don't, I play a lot of Arena now. Arena's easy. I, I definitely can't, like, fly to a Grand Prix. I know Krim is all about Grand Prix going nowadays, but I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's, like, so many. It's like it's a close Grand Prix. Even if it's a close Grand Prix, that's still, like, 60 hours of your weekend, right? And, like, on the road and, like, uh, I can't do that anymore. Like, that, I'm, that, I'm, not, I'm not going to, like, you know, <laughs> like, Sydney or anywhere super far. I'm just going to, like, L.A. and stuff like that. So I don't know. That's already too far. That's It's that, not even that bad. That's, like, eight hours. <laughs> it's a six-hour drive. I'm telling you, if you watch me at any Magic event, after round three, uh, I'm, like, done. I'm, like, all spaced <laughs> out. I'm, like, I can't even do combat math anymore. It's like, dude, it's been, like... It's been like three hours, man. Like, what's up? I'm like, I'm just too tired. I just don't have the mental fortitude anymore. <laughs> Is it top eight yet? Third round. It's yeah. like if there was an event where you can play like one match a day, but it takes like 90 days to like finish the event. I'd be so good at that event. So like I mean, an NFL one game. season. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a GP it's would like, actually just be an NFL season. 
yeah, everyone just gets to, you know, get a fresh mind and whatever. Like, oh, it'll be so good. But it's like, wow, trying to do combat math 12 hours into a Grand Prix after you had no time for lunch is like terrible. But Richard, math is for blockers, right? Haven't we learned this? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> why yes, are you doing yes. math? <laughs> yes. Uh, beefy Yonder, Richard, have you been in discussion with your podcast sponsor to start a new website? filthycasualacademy.com <laughs> You know what? I actually clicked that link. It doesn't exist. We we should we should do it. We could actually do it, yeah. Learn how to be casual from the most yeah. casuals. <laughs> you know what? I actually think that's not that bad. I think a lot of people take magic too seriously. <laughs> like, so that's actually not that bad. It's like are you enjoying tell. playing magic? Like maybe you've lost touch of like the actual joys of magic. You're too grindy and spiky and bitter at this moment like maybe you should take a step back and be a filthy casual like yeah yes play play a skeleton deck like me and your life will be great hey that, that's hey. like the advanced lecture only when you're like the most filthiest of casuals can you get there it's too I got soon like for four you. wins with that skeleton deck in standard or so i'll let you know that <laughs> anything is possible uh m keenard Build me your invitational card. Restriction, it's a 2-2 creature. Ooh. Hmm. How about... Hmm. That's a tough one. Are, are we all building all right, one? I, yes, I, I'm going to build... I'm going to build an enters the battlefield lord. Let's say it's like a 2-mana two 2-2. Two, creature two. type skeleton. <laughs> when it enters the battlefield, <laughs> choose a creature type. All creatures of that type get plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. Is that too strong? That's probably too strong. Hmm. How about like, how about like a gross spiral on a 2-2 body? Would that be too good? Draw a card, you can put a land into play. And it's a 2-2. <laughs> yeah, and it's a 2-2, why not? So it's like a solemn, except you get to draw right away, <laughs> and it's too yeah, bad so it's a 2-2. Like <laughs> okay, maybe that's too good. I can't say Blood Moon. We already have a, a two-drop Panharmonicon. Uh, I I don't know. Do you have one? Yeah. Uh huh. I mean, if if we're going to Christmas land, I could just have kind of like have it all, right? I guess I would be a two two, like you know, we we got to balance it somewhere, so it'd be double uh blue black hybrid mana, right? Uh, and, <laughs> and it would be enters the battlefield. You may choose uh you you may choose one counter target spell <laughs> or or kill a. A, a non-artifact creature. Gotta draw, give it a drawback, you know? <laughs> uh, I'm assuming this thing has flash? Of course. <laughs> so basically Snapcaster, but you don't actually need the spell in the graveyard. You can just cast it. <laughs> no, and, and it can just on. block it's... one X's for some reason. <laughs> but it, it's 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 balanced, like all things should be, because it's two blue-black hybrid mana. So it does not matter if you're playing blue-black. <laughs> <laughs> Look, all right, whatever. I'm not on R&D, but I, I just designed my own Should we card add, off, like, thankfully. a surveil six onto that while we're, <laughs> while we're there? Uh, Dylan W. Perry. I used to play Magic in the 90s and just got back into it. Yay, Arena. Net decking wasn't an option back then, but now I'm told to do it. I'm hesitant to do it, as I love thinking about building. Should noobs be net decking? 100%. Why not? I, I don't I don't see a drawback in net decking. Uh, you you these are proven decks. You know you just started playing. You don't know where to spend your wild cards, your dollar redos, whatever. <laughs> it, 
Well, here you go. Here is a list of things like, you know, it's like a, a little bit of a, you know, like a guideline. Like Build something along the lines of this. It does well. I'm a big believer in uh, playing how playing known decks or net decks or whatever you want to call them uh, helps you improve as someone building your own decks because uh, you get a sense of from playing decks that you know work really well of how interactions work, the right ratios of creatures and removal and lands. So I, uh, while I'm all about brewing your own decks and building your own decks. And that's my favorite way to play magic as well. I think there's a lot of benefits to also playing that decks, especially when you're first starting out. When I first started playing magic, uh, as far as competitively to some extent, outside of when I was just like playing casually on the kitchen table, I played a lot of net decks and I feel like that was a necessary, like, learning process towards eventually building my own decks by just like learning how decks actually work. Yeah, I think you should just do whatever you want. Like, if you feel like you don't want to look at other people's decks, then don't, right? Just build whatever you want. Or if you feel like you want to copy other decks or look at them for inspiration, that's fine too. What I don't like is like people on either side of the argument, like, oh my God, you neck deck, you're not original, right? Or the net decker being, oh my God, you have like a homebrew that's like terrible, like you suck. Like, I, I think that is rubbish, right? Like yeah. do whatever you want, right? But like, there's not like really a side, right? It's just like, if you build your own decks and people have more tuned decks, uh, either you're fine with that or you should look at some net decks, right? Or if you net deck and you know you can't come up with a brand new deck or anything or you're bored of playing whatever you're playing, then you know, think about building your own or something, right? So, yeah, I, I just don't like people taking sides in this. You should just do how you feel the game should be played and then, you know, don't be salty at the other side for playing how they feel the game should be played, right? Yeah, just everyone enjoys magic their own way. Just don't <laughs> don't be a weenie about it. <laughs> uh, last question. Competitive non. With the popularity of PUBG, Fortnite, and the new Apex Legends, how long... Until Wizards launches their 100-player Battle Royale MTG game. <laughs> they have. It's they called the Top 100 Ladder. On <laughs> <laughs> I'm constantly grinding it. <laughs> I actually really think this is something that they are probably working on now. And that it will be, will be coming out in the next couple of years. It sounds very much like how Wizards <laughs> does digital. <laughs> they see what works for everyone else. And then like five years later, they're like, haha, the magic version. <laughs> Wait, would it still be TCG, or are we talking about, like, it actually just be magic full-on ditches the card game aspect and becomes, like, an FPS? Yeah, you're just, like, planeswalkers running around grabbing weapons. You shoot fireballs and whatever. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, you pick up, like, equipment from the game, like Umazawa's Jite sitting around in a box. (laughs) Oh, that that would actually probably be pretty fun if they did it well. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> oh man, we, we joke about well, it, but like, a- I think I would actually never log off if that came out. <laughs> yeah, you can pick up like black lotuses and moxin to build with, and <laughs> but I think we could actually do some weird like battle royale with magic. Like, can you imagine playing like a hundred player magic game where you're actually all just playing with like cards simultaneously? Just, yeah, no, yeah, you know, like you yeah, know, we well, play commanders four people, right? You can play <laughs> eight you- players. So maybe you do something like PUBG where you start in like pods of eight or something. <laughs> 
And then the last two people that survive, they, they move on with their exact board state and hands, right? And like combined with like the other pods. And then like it, it just keeps going, right? And every time you survive, you get to keep your board state in hand. And then at the end, you're just shoved into this game with like four other people and the winner takes it all, right? Like that would be pretty that's cool. That's like kind of how... That's kind of how poker tournaments work to some extent. Yeah. Uh, uh, maybe that would actually, could actually be a thing. Yeah. But, but then, yeah, like, going, the strategy like is to sandbag all your resources and try to yeah. win and then, like, come in and, like, cobble off as soon as you. Oh, do you really want to have 99 other players take their turn before you, though? That's a lot. That, of that's why you got to do it around. in pods. Like, you do, like, eight player <laughs> pods or something, and then you, like, slowly mash them all together. But you got to be careful. One of those eight players could be also playing Nexus, so. <laughs> 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 Boom! Surprise! <laughs> all right, that's all our that's all the time we have for questions this week. If you have questions, send them to at MTG Goldfish with the hashtag MTG Fish Mail, and we'll get to your questions on air. And I think that that brings us to the end of episode 212 of the MTG Goldfish podcast. So, Richard Crib, thanks for hanging out. Thanks everyone who listened, and thanks again to Spikes Academy for supporting the show. You can get 10 percent off at SpikesAcademy.com with the code Goldfish. So, until next week, this is the crew signing out. Thank you.